Welcome to this episode of Entangled With, the podcast about quantum technologies for scientists and science enthusiasts. I'm Lewis, and I'm co-hosting today's episode with Taryn. We're both PhD students in the Quantum Engineering Centre for Doctoral Training at the University of Bristol in the UK. And today's guest is Norbert Luchtenhaus, Professor at the Institute of Quantum Computing and Department of Physics and Astronomy in the University of Waterloo, Canada. We're really excited to have had the opportunity to speak with Norbert, as he's made a long series of outstanding contributions to the field of both quantum optics and cryptography throughout his career. He's held various positions in academia and industry, and was one of the first to pioneer commercial quantum key distribution. Nowadays, he's the CTO and co-founder of Evolution Keo, as well as leads the Optical Quantum Communication Theory Group at the University of Waterloo which looks at the interface between theory and practice, taking abstract communication protocols and describing their physical implementations using light. We'll be talking to Norbert about quantum cryptography, where we'll gain a deep insight into quantum key distribution in particular, looking at the theoretical and practical challenges that face the field today. And alongside this, we of course want to get Norbert's opinion on the future of the commercial applications for this new technology. We really hope you enjoyed the episode and take away some fresh insight into quantum cryptography. So let's jump in to Entangle with Norbert Luchtenhaus. Thank you very much for, for joining us today, Norbert. It's great to, great to have you and to speak, to speak with you. Um, so would you mind just briefly um, starting off by just, just summarizing a bit about, about your background, about how you got to, to where you are today, um, being professor of a, of a leading research group? Um, just just a brief summary of, of yeah, where, 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 how you got here would be great. Oh, yeah, the, the, the stations over that of, of my past is really uh, start with a good physics teacher at high school, right? And then actually uh, went to study physics first in Aachen and then moved over to Munich because I wanted really to study general relativity. Uh, and so that was my, my starting point over there. And then uh, I had the second passion, it was basically uh, laser physics. And uh, from that one, I drifted into quantum optics. And then I was actually looking for, uh, after I did my master's, I was looking for a position uh, to do a PhD in quantum optics. Mm. And uh, I ended to talk to, to Stephen Barnett in Strathclyde. Oh, wow. And <laughs> that uh, got me into quantum information. So Steve just uh, went there to the whiteboard and said, you know, you're looking for a topic, you know, he has this funny thing, there's this QKD stuff, <laughs> right? And so, and actually my friend at PT, Paul Townsend, he's doing some experiments on that one. And, you know, we don't really know whether it's secure. Right? What exactly is it? How does it work? How does the optics have to do with security? What means security anyway? Uh, mm. Would you be interested to look into that? Yeah, and I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> A big, a big decision. <laughs> so that is basically, I, I guess at this point, I would not have expected that this topic would be, would be with me even nearly 30 years later. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's for sure. I mean, that's uh, where you see basically somehow really what, what influence people can have on you, right? Mm. Yeah, I exactly. Should have taken, I should have taken a picture of that whiteboard. <laughs> but that was at the time where we did not have smartphones in our pockets. Ah, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's... So, so that's a starting point. So it's, it's Steve Barnett who got me into this. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's great to hear. 
Perfect. So yeah, as you as as you mentioned, that's uh, going to be the the topic that we're going to be talking about quantum quantum key distribution. Um, and we like to kind of get a fairly nice broad broad overview of a lot of the uh, maybe touch a bit on the theory side, a bit on the more practical side, and and also focus a lot on what's possible today and and where we actually are now are at now and where we might go in the future. So um, we think as a good as a good starting point, would you be able to give us a like a very broad overview of what the the key ideas behind quantum key distribution are as as like our sort of solution to to modern cryptography now? Okay, so so quantum key distribution is is really one of those areas which very nicely connects fundamentals of of uh, theoretical physics with applications. Right? So the basic idea is just whenever you send a signal around and someone wants to look at the signal, then basically looking at something is interacting with something and with it. And quantum mechanics means that there's a, feed, a feedback. Right? So you, you try to figure out what's coming by, you change it on average. Right? Mm. So, and so that is basically uh, what quantum mechanics is not doing. That means we can just exchange signals and we can figure out by testing whether someone tried to look at it. And in, in, in which degree. And so this is something you can now leverage, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, because that's nearly like uh, sending secret messages, you can check whether someone opened it. Uh, only the thing is, of course, uh, if someone opened your secret message, it's too late, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so therefore, of course, you, uh, the idea was really, and, and that was the collaboration between Charles Bennett uh, and Jules Brassard. It's actually now to combine this, of course, with the other very important ingredient that is cryptography. They say, don't send a message directly, but first generate a key. Mm -hmm. And so that is, a, here, here again, we see the interface through the interdisciplinary art. Physics alone does not uh, bring you where you want to go. You really have to understand the cryptographic uh, um, structures. And so that is a very nice nice principle. Now, of course, you still have to, to build it and utilize it. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so is that one of the most um, the most important um, things to to think about when we think about quantum key distribution? Is this provable security? We we know if someone's tampered with it or not, and then we can throw us away. There's no way that they could get get under us uh, with with uh, yeah get get information on our key without us 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 knowing about it. Right. Yes. Uh, but, but of course, uh, uh, basically, that is the principle. And again, the principle uh, there's a gap to the application that is just. Whenever you try to implement it, I mean, the first thing that happens, there will be noise. And so noise looks like an eavesdropper. So if you just use the principle directly like that, it would be not very useful. Because each time you will be looking, you would always find, oh, someone tempered with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it would be very frustrating, which would be still secure because you would not be misguided in belief that it was secure if it was not. But it really means that uh, it, uh, now you need additional tools. You need uh, actually have this idea that if there are three parties, Alice and Bob, the rightful users, and then there's the eavesdropper in the middle over here, if they share correlations, right, and basically the correlations between Alice and Bob are stronger than the one to the adversary, then you can use additional just classical communication protocols that actually distill and decouple the adversary. And that is stuff that is, is known basically in classical cryptography for ages, mm. right, so since the 70s. And uh, where people have been studying, if I have known three-party correlations, how can I use this one for secret communication? Okay. And that is basically what we use today as error correction and privacy application steps in particular have actually their, their origin in, indeed in classical cryptography. 
quite often they don't come necessarily in those names and they are not exactly packaged the way how we use it today, but the ideas do uh, uh, come, come, come really from there. Right? And so, so uh, this is really the important tool to, uh, to, to use that one, to use this kind of insight. And once you do this one, now it turns the thing is in the quantitative game. Because now it means the step of privacy application is a compression of your key. You make your key shorter. And the trade-off is uh, you, you press out, you push out the third party, the adversary. Right? And you need to know how much to compress the key. Now, this, this really becomes now a quantitative game. You have to figure out. The security proof is just to, uh, to figure out how much do I have to compress my key? What is the right parameter? Now it's a quantitative game, and it's now stable. Right? Even if you have noise in your channel, you just notice quantum mechanics just tells you if Alice and Bob are strongly correlated, then actually the third party is weakly correlated. Right? And so that is basically now the difference as well to classical cryptography. Right? In classical cryptography, you have to start as I assume I know how my three parties are entangled, uh, correlated. And once I know that one, then I can calculate those measures and basically get a CPT. And our step is now in, in uh, using quantum mechanics is I don't have to assume how a third party is correlated with the uh, two rightful parties. I can actually, by my measurements on the channel and on the signals, I can actually deduce how strong that the correlation is to the adversary. And therefore, I can base all of my calculations, how much do I have to compress a key, I can base that one on observations, not on assumptions. And that is a critical step compared to what's done in, in classical cryptography. Sure. Following up from that, we also wanted to ask why consider quantum systems for cryptography, meaning like what are the quantum enablers that give us an advantage for the secure information transfer that classical cryptography doesn't provide? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is really basically to understand the base, uh, basic motivation. Why, why it all to tinker with our cryptography? It, it looks fine. We, we, we are connected now over the HTTPS, right? So we have a secure connection. So what's the problem? We have infrastructure in place. And this, of course, of course, a threat that uh, the cryptography, that, uh, or large parts of the cryptography, you have to be careful about that one, are actually under threat from the emerging quantum computer. Right? And so that means many of the protocols that we use over the internet today is actually something which is called as uh, public key cryptography. And uh, they are usually based on an asymmetry that basically some problem in one direction is easier than the other one. Mm. Multiplying large numbers is, is, is easy, right? Uh, but uh, actually factoring large numbers is difficult. And basically quantum computers actually can actually change uh, this idea about what is easy, what is not easy. And so, uh, and since quantum computers are, we, we know in principle are possible, and actually as well as the realization of quantum computers, we make uh, big strides. That is actually why we know that uh, cryptography will be in danger. Now there are two things. One thing is everything that we communicate today, because of that thing, uh, typically can be decrypted in the future. So we really are worried about long-term uh, 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 privacy and security. The other thing is as well, uh, of course, that we know Whatever, whatever we do, we have to start doing it now, right? Because actually changing the cryptographic infrastructure is extremely long process, right? Mm. right? So we have to work now. And now is the question what to do. And there are basically two main directions about what we can do. One is basically to uh, change your classical cryptography to something that we believe a quantum computer cannot break, that is post-quantum cryptography. 
And so there are actually quite a bit of ideas around. Some of them are actually already uh, dated 10 or 20 years ago, but some of them are actually more recently and actually in the US, NIST as a standards agency is actually looking at, uh, has a big competition, looking at all these uh, alternatives and to, to make a few recommendations what can be used in the future. Mm. Now the thing is, that effort is actually an effort that actually uh, goes to uh, uh, regain the status quo, right? But we want to come back to the time before we knew quantum computers were possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the thing is, one has to realize as well that this is something that um, cryptography is very well a little bit uneasy about. And that means uh, there is actually progress in factorizing a large numbers, just classically, not with a quantum computer. It's, of course, uh, uh, as you might know, it's not like it's now suddenly we can crack it, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's actually, there is a question how much computational power I need. Basically, we get more and more efficient. You can actually uh, show progress. It's, it's slow and it's not basically uh, like a catastrophe <laughs> for the security <laughs> yet. But the yeah. thing is, as well, there are actually papers coming out that say, oh, you know, I actually can work on this cryptography better. Uh, some of them turn out not to be necessarily correct or uh, uh, have the same implication that people written it for. But as a cryptographer, you always have to be worried, right? Uh, yeah, they have to be paranoid. Someone has a good idea, right? It's, maybe there is a classical algorithm, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the past, we had the issues as well that computational power, of course, would be just increasing. At the moment, suddenly, Linux clusters became available. Actually, basically, everyone of us has huge computational power available at our fingertips if you want to have it, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that is something that one really has to work. That means the status quo, actually, uh, is maybe not so good, right? Uh, cryptographers typically, as well, say, if you look at recommendation, you know, key lengths for public key crypto, they always give you a time scale for how long they believe this key will be secure. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this is typically like 10 years. And basically, if you talk to cryptographers, I tell you, you know, no one in uh, really right in, in, in their mind would ever give a recommendation for something like 30 years or more because that is completely out of whack, right? And now we have, of course, uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, secrets that actually need longer-term security. Mm. And so, so uh, th that means we need to, there is actually a need as well for, for something else. And as well not to have to change your system over again and again, right? And adapt key length, which comes with more computational power, memory, whatever thing, mm -hmm. right? It, it's, it's actually the issue. So now... That is now something very big QKD comes in. Right? QKD is basically makes a security claim which is very different from what post-quantum is doing. Mm. Right? It really says something. I am basically on the protocol level, I'm actually secure uh, against whatever computational power or algorithmic power, whatever my adversary might detect. Right. And that is, that is really uh, the game changer. I mean, we have to talk about it. Um, the difference between protocol security and implementation security. Yes, right? yeah. But yeah. I mean, on the, uh, protocol security, that's basically the leverage of quantum key distribution over here, that it really gives a different security statement. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's great. And I suppose the um, it's all those, those quantum buzzwords you hear, like uh, um, entanglement and superposition and everything like that that makes that gives you that quantum that that advantage these these different different characteristics of quantum systems that 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 we can use to to our advantage to get this this safe that we can we can lock our our messages up for for as long as we'd like. Um, 
So, good. so who, um, who, who, who would you would you say would would this benefit most? Who would who would use this this sort of technology in the coming? I'm sure it was it'd be great for everyone to use, but um, I'm sure for a while it won't be fully available for for a bit. So, so like, who would be the first to to benefit directly from this? I mean, this is of course something over here which we need, as you say, it will be in evolution, right? Uh, that means uh, we will start off with niche markets and that will, they will actually grow, mm. right? And that is the depends as well on the solution, for, uh, how you can offer a content TV solution. The first thing is again to look at the attributes. First thing is basically long term, where's long term confidentiality actually? That's basically one, one clear use, and that might be a government, it might be about as well healthcare information, right? So everything which really has long time scales, right? I mean, we have lots of secret cryptography where we actually would not care whether our, our message became public, you know, in a minute or a day or a year or whatever yeah. thing. So let, let's talk about this one. Right? So that's for sure government, it, it, it's healthcare. It is as well, uh, maybe as well, uh, really the question of what are critical uh, infrastructure. Critical infrastructure uh, might as well contain, for example, finance, right? Uh, where you indeed have, uh, as, again, confidentiality is important, but as well reliability, mm. right? you really mm. need to be able that, that your system does not break down. Right? So that is really things that, that you really have to, to start out with. And then it's always a question, how cheap and easy can you make PPD? The easier it is, the broader will be the application spectrum. Right? So and that is really basically starting out with people to use QKD on proprietary networks. And then basically at some point as we go further down the line, maybe we can come into a service provider model, right? Where you just buy a key service from, from, from other people, right? So, so for sure that, that, that is really an evolution, right? And just a question basically, uh, really how our engineering skills, uh, how the overall thing is actually coming together. That makes sense. So now we wanted to kind of move into an overview of quantum key distribution. So for those people who aren't as familiar with the topic, maybe could you describe the general model of a protocol, how it works and who are Alice, Bob and Eve and what their roles are in the whole thing? Alice and Bob and basically their goal is just really to, to, to create a secret key because secret key is just what keeps all our crypto together. Right? It allows encryption, it allows authentication and all of that one. And so so uh, now we already said basically the key property we want to use is that uh, um, at uh, the moment an adversary tries to look at the signal, we do some measurement, we disturb quantum mechanical signal. So we need to set now quantum mechanical system from the sender Alice to the receiver Bob. And so we prepare them what's called the non-formal states. Right? Non-formal states means that really that are states, if you try to distinguish between them, you will change them. Right? So there are special set of states which are nice or formal. I can easily discriminate them, like uh, uh, right, uh, two letters, zero and one. You look at them, you, it's either a zero or one, and uh, that one would not basically have changed. But here you go into what we call the superposition of, of different states. So that there's no measurement, uh, even in principle, that could perfectly distinguish all, all those signal states. That is basically the kind of secret source that we put in there. Mm. So I basically it just sends at random one of these preset states. We know an adversary cannot tell them apart. And then Bob does a measurement on them. And now, of course, you might wonder, man, <laughs> if Eve cannot distinguish, then how could Bob distinguish? And this is the great power, basically, what we use is lots of classical post-processing afterwards. 
Right? So that means we create a mass basically as well. Bob might for some sequels know for sure which one is boss, but for others it does not, because we say basically you cannot discriminate them perfectly, but you can discriminate them with some probability. But now they can just pick up a phone and talk to each other and just talk about which are the signals that they are sure which one was sent was received. Mm. Just to say, I'm sure about it or I'm not sure about it. Not saying something about, you know, which signal it was that you identified and measured, right? And so that is really the power. You read this interplay between the quantum effect and, 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 and classic communication. You sort out, you select the ones that you were successful of. And Eve cannot play the same game because Eve, mm -hmm. you know, Eve has no influence what we say on that phone, right? Mm -hmm. Eve can only has to live with it. So Eve might as well know some signals for sure and others does not. But Eve cannot post-select on only taking the one where Eve succeeded. And that's basically the power of the, the whole game, right? But once we have this, right, uh, we get now some, some advantage from Alice and Bob over the adversary, right? Alice and Bob now sure what they're doing. Eve has partial information. Now we just go into these other classical protocols, which the error correction makes sure that there's no error remaining between Alice and Bob. Mm -hmm. And actually, the private application, which cuts out any residual little bit of information I might have left. And then you have a wonderful, uh, perfect secret key that you get out of that one. And you use it for encryption in either use it in runtime pad, which is really approval secure cipher, use of secret key. Or you use it basically in AES that are symmetric encryption schemes that you use a small key to encode a large uh, volume of data. Right? Mm. So that's that's really the, the basic principle, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds easy. Yeah. And then there's a lot of details. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and then also I have a question. So Eve obviously is trying to figure out this message that is going between Alice and Bob. Um, and you mentioned previously that the advantage of this, of doing quantum key distribution is that Alice and Bob can tell when Eve has tried to eavesdrop. So how is it that Alice and Bob can tell that she's tried to do that? All right, yeah. And so that is basically, again, you look through all this data that you generated with your normal formal states, right? Mm -hmm. And you do the protocol typically that basically one particular state can, should never trigger one particular out, measurement outcome on the other side, mm -hmm. right? So that's basically in the ideal operation, basically certain outcomes should never uh, appear. But now, if Eve looks at the signals and it makes the signals like a little bit fuzzy, right? Because there's a back reaction, then the signal now might actually trigger one or some of the outcomes that it should not have triggered. That is what we then call an error, right? And we look basically at the rates of those errors and we have a quantitative behavior, behavior. The smaller the number of errors, the weaker was the interaction between Eve and the signal, and the less does Eve actually know about it. And so, so that is really some, some very, very simple things like polarization of single photons. It's just a plane in which the electric field is oscillating. So you can ask basically, is it oscillating in that plane, in the horizontal or in the vertical one, right? So if I send a horizontal state, it will always trigger only the detector say, oh, it was going horizontally, mm. Mm -hmm. right? But, but now we, we use as well as a plus and minus 45 degree, we use four of those polarizations, right? Mm -hmm. So Eve does not know which of those things comes and does not know whether it asks, should ask for the 45 degree polarization or horizontal vertical. And if it asks just basically in a measurement, asks the wrong question, then it will blur the signal completely. Right, you go with the horizontal in there, Eve asks basically a question about the diagonal polarization, 
and then you get a random outcome, right? And so that means in these very simple attacks, actually you realize that there will be an error rate of 25% of all signals will be wrong, right? In, in If Eve launches a full attack. And that is something you can observe. And that is something that Eve cannot circumvent even in principle within quantum mechanics. So we, we don't need to, to worry about, you know, what is Eve practically Eve could do. You just say, you know, if even everything that quantum mechanics allows, Eve can do it and still can't do better than that. And so that is a very important uh, principle. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really nice. Yeah, no, so so that that brings us on nicely to um to, to our next question. So so yeah, as as we're saying that that QKD is, is is provably secure, but of course the errors can still can still come in. It doesn't mean that that it can't be broken. Um, we just know when it when it has been. So so what what sort of vulnerabilities um, does 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 a QKD protocol have? Um, so so we have here sort of buzzwords like like side channels and and things things like this. So would you be able to give us a bit of uh, yeah, a bit of a description of what, what those entail. Yeah, and that is what's, uh, the difference between protocol security, where basically everything on Edison website actually happens according to the textbook. Mm. You specify what comes out. And implementation security. And, and, and that is just something that one really has, has to be very careful about. And that is something as well, this is not, uh, uh, is something which, of course, classical cryptographers know as well about, right? And there's even the one-time pad, right? You just have classical bits, random key bits, and you take a message bit, you do an XOR, and then you can prove from the result. You cannot figure out anything what was said. Mm. So now mm. the, that is a protocol security. Now the implementation security, there's nothing like a zero or one. Our digital values in the real world does not exist. We have a voltage level. And one range of voltage level you call zero, another range of voltage levels you call, call one. Mm -hmm. Right? And so basically digitalization is just means an abstraction. We just say, are you above or below the threshold? But now the thing is, if you add two numbers, right, then out comes there a new voltage. And yes, yes, zero plus zero and one plus one gives all the logical bit value zero. That means it's the one fun domain. But actually, depending whether you added zero or zero or one and one, you might have two different voltage levels. So digital, you're discriminated with say, say with zero, but if you look closer, you actually might be able to figure out whether you added zero and zero or you added one and one module. Hmm. See, yeah. Right? So and, and and this is basically happens of course as well in quantum key distribution. So you have devices that modulate signals, right? I have a light pulse generated to be just by laser. It goes through a modulation units and then goes to my fiber and free space and flies to the other side. So of course, the assumption in the protocol is first that I do the, the sickness perfectly. And the other thing as well is the assumption that actually my device as a sender cannot be actually touched by the adversary, right? It's in a secure parameter. Mm. And now the thing is you have to be careful about that one. How true is it? What would you do if you were evil? Yeah. And so, and there's one very simple attack is just, uh, you just uh, shine some light into Alice's device from the outside. Because, hey, there's an optical fiber sticking out, right? Or right. there's a telescope or everything. It just invites you basically to look in there. And you can just shine extra light in there. And there's always some reflection in your device, whatever thing, to shine some of the light that you shine in. To, to get this one out again. And actually, this might actually as well get modulated by whatever your modulation technique is. So suddenly you have an additional signal, right, that's available. And basically, if you can shine really strong light in there, you might like classically read out what's going on. 
the example, I think the best example of, the, of, of a side shell is probably uh, the easiest one of the first implementations that happened at, at IBM in, in 1990. Because there, uh, people use polarization. So you use a polarization modulator, which is driven by a high voltage. Mm. Right? And that means as an, as an eavesdropper, you can just send next to the experiment and can actually hear which signal was played because the clicking would be different depending <laughs> on the voltage. So that is a, is, is a typical side channel, right? That you have to be aware of. And then you see, again, that's the difference between protocol security, implementation security. For implementation, you have to make sure that those things basically don't play a role, right? And this puts us, un unfortunately, in the situation uh, protocol security as a theoretician, I can just write it's a mathematical theorem. Here, your assumption, here's a protocol, and now if I do my math right, I get the right answer, mm -hmm. and then we're done, people can mm -hmm. check it. The moment you go in implementation, it's something very different. So I cannot fundamentally prove that my actual device is secure. No way. Mm -hmm. right? So what I can say is the protocol is secure, and here is now what I did to assure that basically my, my implementation is close to the model. Right? Mm -hmm. And that actually now requires actually quite a bit of effort, and we do this one, for example, in the European Telecommunication Standards Institute Working Group, Etsy, uh, where, where we actually formulate basically tests and procedures that people have to do in order to check that the QQT devices that they want to sell actually do the trick correctly. But this is the best practice thing, right? It's not a mathematical proof. Mm -hmm. And that is something you have to, one has to be aware of, right? The moment you use QKE, you don't really do the unconditional security, which is a big word you know, from, crypto, uh, from the crypto world, that actually really refers to protocol security and just says that I don't do assumption about uh, the adversary in the middle, but I still make assumption about the model, right? And there are different statements, and, but, but uh, there is indeed a very important thing, even, even if we have side channels, those side, side channels cannot be used retroactively. So that means uh, uh, if you want to attack UKD uh, and you don't know, basically first the, the, the protocol security tells you, look, look at Alice and Bob, right? forget about the channel. Right. If you look at the, the deviations at, at, at Alice and Bob, not about the channel. And then, then basically you just uh, have to look at, at the channel, but you have to exploit it today. If tomorrow I get a great idea, hey, that device I think had a side channel, I cannot go in back in time in, in, to apply to yesterday's transmission. Right. Which is different, say, from crypt analysis, if basically my assumption about computational difficulty was wrong about the problem then I could have recorded all the classical signals in classic crypto, and then basically decipher it tomorrow, right, with, with my new knowledge. If this one does not work as I gain side channels, and that is typically the same for classical or for quantum crypto, that those side channels typically just basically uh, 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 really need to be exploited then and there. Yeah, so like you said, the actual protocol and the implementation are two different things. Doing something in a lab is quite different than on paper. So what platforms are available to perform QKD? Like what would be the physical implementation? How would that look? Right. I mean, basically the, the simplest one is, uh, which I think very widespread is just something like a, a polarization or time bin, uh, quantum key distribution, where you just use uh, just laser pulses. 
right? It's just a simple laser pulse because laser pulse, once the intensity gets to be low, actually are very st uh, strongly in the mm. quantum domain, right? They really create normal fog and signal states. So they can just use laser pulses, modulate them polarization, or basically distribute them over two time pulses and play with the relative phase between those things, basically the equivalent, and send it over fiber, or as well over free space to another side. Right? And then on the other side, basically I do a polarization analyzer or, or the equivalent for time bins and just uh, perform my measurement on that. And so this is actually, is basically like an interferometry, right? Everything, basically anyone who ever works with an interferometer in, 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 in optics, basically knows the basics that you need for, for quantum field distribution. It's only that we really run those at the extremely low light intensity so that it's mostly in the single photon regime, right? Yeah, there's vacuum and there's multi-photon components in there, but mostly in the single photon regime. Right. And so, so the biggest difference is basically the medium, right? Do I go through fiber, who installed fiber, or do I go uh, through free space? And basically in fiber I can reach, by now we have protocols that can do a couple of hundred kilometers, right? And so, or I can go as well to low orbiting satellites. So that is all stuff that has been actually uh, demonstrated, right? So, so that is something that we can, mm. can, can actually do. So is there any, any particular front runner that, that, that you see that's, that's, that's proving to be the most, uh, the most reliable for, for what we can expect? I, I think basically the commercial devices that we look at today are all com uh, variations of Bennett uh, Brassard Mm. Uh, V-coherent pulse uh, protocol with using decoy, what we call decoy methods. That means where you do as well a random modulation of the intensity to, to thwart some and some other attacks. And so that is for sure, basically, at the moment, the one that is actually uh, used as a variation, basically, all of the, the commercial products as well that you can buy. Right? You can buy that mm. stuff right, by now. Right? Uh, but but there's of course uh, an immersion technology which I think is uh, is very very interesting that is the one of continuous variable quantum field distribution. Yeah. And uh, the reason that I say that one is just because that is now using technology which is looks very similar to what we use actually in modern optical communication infrastructure. Right. So we don't use uh, really like a specialized technologies, but uh, the the BB84 really has a very nice easy source, but the detectors are single photon detectors, which we know how to do, but some of them need to be cooled very strongly to get a decent performance mm -hmm. and so on. And uh, continuous variable just allows basically to use what we use today in telecom. It might actually lend itself very well to in, in, uh, uh, into the integration in today's optical telecom uh, infrastructure, because the same device use basically the same technology. I mean, I know, yeah, we know same technology it means still because you push it very hard, but very similar technology about uh, that is in, used anyway in classical optical communication equipment today. And so therefore, yes, we have the hope that you can actually uh, join them, right? That you buy only one device and you can use a classical communication and the quantum communication in, mm. in, in one device. Right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is as well, that is the part you have to be careful always when you build some new technology, it's just a question about availability of parts. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and to have a big photonics industry in your back, right, who develops that stuff anyway for other for a huge commercial market, that's the classical optical communication. To be able to use this advances basically for your quantum room. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you, you bring up the, the 
CV versus DV QKD because um, it seems to be at most conferences now nowadays you get a, a few pro provocative statements from from various people saying CV is the is the only way forward or or anything like this. Um, but would you, would you say that CV is is still quite premature in comparison to to DV QKD because of course DV QKD has been studied very extensively both yeah. theoretically and in practice and then. Sure. Uh, well, the, the thing is basically, I'm, uh, there's no fundamental advantage of one or the other, right? So everything mm -hmm. is in the engineering, right? I mean, everything that uh, I, I'm really absolutely not a fan of of doing this and trying to draw and draw now uh, winner mm -hmm. to calculate which is better because nothing is fundamentally better, right? Is there also a question at which clock rate can you run it? How cheap is it, right? And basically, what ingenuity ideas can you have? It's it's like a competition of ideas, and it's very good to have this competition of ideas. But the thing is not to have pixel one winner because it might depend as well very much on where do you want to apply it, which circumstances, over which distance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for sure, of course, uh, uh, the discrete variable polarization and so on uh, uh, QKD has been mm. studied for much longer. But I mean, CVQKD is catching up as well. My group works as well on those things, right? And, and, and I mean, uh, we are for sure uh, can really catch up on that. And so, so that is something uh, I, I really don't like to say one is better than the others. Just look, mm. right, and see how far you can push it. It's, it's just a question of engineering. It's not something of fundamental, uh, fundamental part. And basically, whenever it, it, this history always tells us, yeah, if someone says, oh, the other thing cannot be done, this is better than. Just wait, the, the other side <laughs> will get a new idea and then suddenly you look old. And that's great. I think that's great. That's what I say. I really encourage the, the competition of ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And to, to look at that, but uh, don't don't go into the thing, oh, we need to decide which one is better because mm -hmm. that's, that is the question. Yeah. Is basically that's a really nice way of looking at it, question. definitely. So obviously there are a lot of challenges actually carrying it out. And you said a lot of different things to consider. What would you say are like the biggest practical challenges? Well, in, in, in building those devices, I think that the one challenge indeed is just to get the rate up at which we can generate secret key. Mm -hmm. right? And so that is, uh, we, we have some fundamental bounds, right? And that means if I have a lossy channel with a given loss, that means measured by the probability that say a single photon arrives at the other end. So you can actually from that one give a, a fundamental upper bound how much secret key can be generated of a certain loss, right? And so this one basically uh, scales actually goes exponentially down mm. the distance in fiber, right? And so no, I can't go with, with this QKD device directly through optical fiber. I cannot go half around the world or something, forget about it, right? So, so there are now really interesting ideas how, how to go forward. One thing is basically just to try to find protocols that change with the scaling, but then you need to be inventive. Something has to go in the fiber. It can be not only the fiber, right? Mm -hmm. And here's, of course, uh, the idea of Twinfield QKD that has been actually uh, actually developed by Toshiba Yerov in Cambridge, right? Is, is just really a very important thing because suddenly basically improves the scaling instead of proportional to the transmission, it goes proportional to the square root of transmission. Right. That means you double your distance, right? And, and with, a, with a conceptually fairly simple, of course, experimentally, you still have to work hard as always, right? A, a kind of setup that you can actually improve it. So the loss scaling, I think, overall is something mm. maybe, of course, would hope we could get something like a tractor repeater 
and 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 uh, something that actually enhances uh, uh, mm. the performance. If you just stick to the point-to-point thing, it is very uh, really to make it cheaper. How to make to get the clock rate up? Mm-hmm. Uh, to have a efficient protocol that even this classical force resistance that you're doing, you can actually keep up with it. Right, because that is quite often the bottleneck. You have to do error correction, you have to privacy application in real time. And with a large volume of, of data, then you really come to the limits about uh, what mm. processing speed yeah. you can actually have. So that has uh, for sure things that actually work. And then say, make it robust. Right? If you now really think about application part, it needs to be done really robust. Right? Uh, telecom equipment is not being serviced every month. Right? Usually you just install it and it should please only run. Right, for a few years. And so it's the question, how can we actually make, make devices mm. that are fast and robust and do that? That's, that's why you see there's always a gap between the distance records you mm-hmm. find in academia, mm-hmm. in scientific papers, and then you look at the commercial products around, there's a gap. <laughs> why? Because those things have actually to be produced at some reasonable cost, right. and they actually have to yeah. work around the clock. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so... Now talking about more of the security of it, going back to that, um, can you explain why security is important and the notion of information theoretic security for us and how it's different from current security guarantees today? Obviously, you said now there's a shelf life of how long things are secure for. And then so with quantum information that is distributed this way, would we say that that has an infinite shelf life and then that's secure forever? Yeah, right, yeah. I, I, I think this is indeed the, 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 the biggest difference to classically this question of shelf life. That's why we look in the information theoretic security. As I said, particularly even the classical world, you find a smaller society, a group community that works in information theoretic security where they base it on assumption about the channel. Right? And so along this one is still true at the time where you generate it, you can actually do something. And that's indeed the shelf life. But that's really the necking doubt. Maybe my assumption about security, uh, we are wrong. Right? I mean, for many practical purposes, probably we are fine. But uh, as usually when you have a system that, that may break down even with a small probability in the future, right? mm-hmm. uh, many people have a problem with that. Right? And so, so that is something that, that we simply have, have, to, have to be aware of. And basically, that is something that we have to be with. Just leave the question, what are the exact assumptions that goes in? And what is my statement? And basically, what happens if my assumptions change in the future? Right? And so, um, for, for sure, I think the world of cryptography has learned from the past. In the past, very often, for example, cryptographic ciphers were hard-baked into uh, my hardware in, into my infra- security infrastructure and cannot be simply adapted. Right? And I mean, that is something that for sure uh, changed already there. Basically, people now do agile cryptography. But again, I mean, all of that one is at the moment typically a public key crypto based on problems that are deemed hard. And now the question, what means hard? Right? So when, when is the classic crypto system actually secure? Right? And if you talk to cryptographers, and uh, you can for sure go online, you will find actually some, uh, uh, some presentation. Like for example, Adi Shamir, who just say, well, a crypto system is, is secure if mm. after 13 years, no one has broken it yet. Mm. Right? So of course, there's a large number of cryptographers who try to break schemes. But now what about the post-quantum schemes? Because post-quantum, of course, have on one hand the attack vector 
of uh, the typical anyway, basically how they attack it is classical algorithm. But then, of course, it has attacked like, do we really know what the quantum computer can actually do for us? Right? And so, thing, of course, we know Shor's algorithm, we, we know Gore's algorithm, and we know all the variations thereof, right? But is that all, right? What else is there all that actually could, could be done? And the community of people who actually know and can seriously work on that and on breaking new crypto schemes from this quantum angle is really small. If we compare this one to the huge community that works on the classical side, and I'm not sure that even after 13 years, I would trust that there is not a quantum computer algorithm that actually could maybe break it. So, so basically, this this whole approach, basically, I think uh, in the world of post quantum is 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 very um, very difficult. Right? So we don't have these decades of experience mm. that we say, oh, we we know what's going on. There are not enough people who have been wrong on them. And that is really, the, I think, the main motivation. We need to have QKD at least as a failover path, right? So as we build up the infrastructure, we need to make sure that our critical infrastructure does not suddenly suffer from saying something, oh, this cycle was broken, what now? Right? And, and so, so that is really why I think information security is really important. So stepping into the picture of protocol security now, you've spoken a lot about various assumptions. And is it fair to say that the, the strength of our security proof is entirely dependent on how many of these assumptions we make? So how many assumptions we make on the eavesdropper or on the structure of the states that we're using and so on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always a trade-off between assumptions and best value performance. Right? Uh, so, so uh, if we talk about assumptions, there's as well something, for example, uh, in uh, well, typically making assumption about the eavesdropper in the channel itself mm. is, in my opinion, not buying you much, right? Because you get a new assumption in there, you might not, and you don't get a dramatic change in key rate, but now you have to be aware that the assumption might not hold in the future, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there's an exception to that, and that is something there is, uh, we know from some protocols. If you make an assumption on how much memory an adversary can have, quantum memory an adversary can have, then you can actually increase the kind of functionality that you can be doing. Right? And so then you can do some cryptographic primitives that we cannot uh, do with QKD. But, but that would, would, would be one thing. But the other thing is really if you now uh, uh, talk about protocols, few assumptions, that means fewer chance of side channels. There is, of course, the, the mm. uh, area of device independence. Mm. Now, we have to be careful. There are still assumptions in the game, right? So that means really uh, uh, the, the picture is usually with, they say, well, as and Bob each have two boxes and like a free will, they can use one or the other box and they don't know what the boxes do, right? So, so that means I'm free mm. against side channels in that box. Excellent. I can do actually QKD with that one. That means I don't have to have this boxes characterized. But the thing is basically now I'm really dealing with loss and the performance basically, how much key can I really generate out of it and under which conditions is much more restricted. The thing is as well, the important thing is because uh, we can have a long discussion about free will, but let's assume that the quantum ran uh, that the random number generator decides between the boxes. You need to assume that the random number generator deciding which box to use mm. is indeed not influenced by anything else. Right? And so, so that means there is, is still a set of assumptions. You need to, to make sure that these boxes don't use a physical side channel to broadcast to the adversary mm. 
about which result they obtain, right? One hand they tell you to you, but maybe through such as they tell you to Eve. So they, it's not mm. without assumption, but it's with much less assumption. Right? Exactly. And it's always a question basically again, how confident am I that a certain assumption holds that they can monitor that this really holds? And the few I have for sure it's yeah. easier. Right? But but uh, but mm. it's there's typically then a trade of yeah, performance. Yeah. Um, because I suppose <laughs> quite quite a big one um, is so we, we assume the eavesdropper can has to obey quantum mechanics, um, and I, I suppose that inadvertently says that we assume that quantum mechanics is correct, and that's okay because we've we verified this with things like like Bell tests and, and things like that. But that also assumes that quantum mechanics is complete, yeah. which yeah. is maybe a bit more of a, a stronger assumption to not say that. Well, yeah. what if there's some what if quantum mechanics is only part of the picture and there's some higher higher thing going on that we're not sure about yet that an eavesdropper could exploit? Well, I, I mean, the thing first of, of course, we are physicists, right? As a physicist, you know, of course, mm. uh, quantum mechanics is a model, so it's wrong. <laughs> the question is only how wrong, right? And where it's wrong. And basically, yeah. all <laughs> experiments that they do is pretty good. Right? <laughs> But, but but when any theory is always will fail somewhere, we, we know when quantum mechanics at least when mm. we come to a, to quantum gravity, it will fail. Yeah. Right? So we already know it's not a complete picture, right? So, so now is the question basically: uh, 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 would be that deviation that be big enough that we can actually uh, mm. uh, adversely could exploit it today, right? And I mean, probably would say probably no, right? So so if we can't actually uh, see a deviation yet. So, so how would you then even be able to, to exploit it? But that's, of course, a brilliant thing about uh, QKD actually connecting very practical mm. questions to, to, to very fundamental questions. So moving the discussion towards what is currently being done today, you mentioned twin-field QKD, so this semi-device independent protocol that can beat the repeaters bound and get this better scaling of the key rate. Um, could you tell us a bit more about the current state of the art protocols like this? What's, what's, what's being done? Yeah, I, I mean, for sure, again, uh, any kind of protocol does, that does a scaling like Twinfield or as well uh, reduces uh, the, the reliance on, on, on detectors, which we know yeah. have, have more sidechains than sources. Also, we need to be careful about that, that statement because obviously we spend more effort on the easier part and it's easier to do sidechain exports on, on detectors and on sources. So, so let's see what we learn as people now attention put mm. their attention more to to, to, to to sources, right? But no, I, I think these these fundamental aspects, particularly really on on, on the, uh, the protocol level over here, I think that's uh, just really exciting to, to see this kind of movement. But if you think about the Twinfield QKD, right? Within one year, basically there was a proposal. There was actually the first experimental demonstration. Mm. And as well as the first rigorous security proofs. So, so yeah. I mean, that means obviously there is lots still to do in that, right? Even after that long time, if you really look back, there we have various phases as well in the development of QKD, right? From, from the first principal idea, the first implementations, then came really the realization of the photo number splitting attack, multi photons are bad. But oh yeah, we can do decoy states, right? We're just uh, changing the intensity, we can work on that one. Then we really have the development of device-independent QKD, right? How can I reduce assumptions on those things uh, or now? Uh, and as, as, as a moment, I think one phase that we're in is really, uh, which has, uh, again, some fundamental and some practical mm. uh, parts is just the finite size effects. 
Right? Uh, if you really implement QKD, you don't have, you don't go to the asymptotic limit where if you infinite number of signals, they can calculate probabilities. We talk about rates, we talk about fluctuating things. And so, yes, we can actually do security proofs in the finite size region, but they are not necessarily tight. Because the first time you do something, you're just happy. It yeah. <laughs> no matter how crappy it might be. Right? Yeah. And we are now at the stage that we know, yeah, we know it works, but you know, we don't like this. This is mm. really bad. We, we need to find something better, a better proof. And uh, that we uh, can use fewer signals from fewer signals, we can generate circuit here and so on. And that is again something where really new theories come around and new approaches like the entropy accommodation theorem. So these are things basically where you see really new tools, new views that have application for QKD, but as well for quantum and then number generations and so on, which is really makes the field still very exciting, right? Mm -hmm. so that these ideas come on. And I think that's really what we're doing at the moment. The finite size is for sure, sure one big issue. Can you tell us, obviously you're at the University of Waterloo, who is really well known for quantum information and you have a fairly large group. So can you tell us about what you guys specifically are working on at the moment? Well, in, in my group, actually, we, we have uh, three working areas. Uh, so that's really in quantum key distribution itself. It is really uh, how, basically, to make the, the calculation of security proofs, that means the calculation of how much privacy application I have to do, how much compression I have to do, to make it as easy as possible. You know, the first time basically doing a security proof of a, of a device took one PhD. And then you change just a little bit the setup, you spend another PhD on doing something. That is a slow progress. And it's uh, basically, we learned a lot, basically how to use symmetry and so on, to use analytic security proofs. But our QKD protocols become more and more complicated because we have to take into account side channels. And, uh, and, and or as well, simple things like, you know, you use photon counting devices in the receiver, say to monitor polarization. Those have never the same detection efficiency. Mm -hmm. So what Is now? that what you mean mm -hmm. by symmetry? Is that the context that you're talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, because symmetry would mean if they have the same detection efficiency, I can do a nice trick and basically get this uh, detection efficiency out of the window. I just make it part of each channel and I'm done with it, right? But now if it's not the same, it's stuck in there. And so you have to develop new tools, even how to do that calculation, right? And the thing is basically uh, what we figured at some point, you know, it, it, it's going too slow. And the thing is actually calculating basically how much privacy application you have to do. In the end of the day, it's just a convex optimization problem. So you can write down a mathematical problem, right? the optimization over, right? There's some function, some entropy function, under some constraints, and that's the observation. And that's true for finite size and as well for asymptotic part. And so if it's an optimization and it's getting complicated and we cannot hope to do this analytically, then it's maybe a time to ask your friend your computer. Right. So we have been really working very hard to actually teach computers how to calculate those things, because now we can do in the get, go into more deep and detailed modeling of our device, which makes it more complicated, and calculate actually, including some side channels, we can actually calculate mm. now what is the key rate yeah. of that versus we're doing a real computation. So that is basically the important thing. Basically, we work on, on one hand, basically on these numerical approaches, mm -hmm. We work still basically on analytic approaches, how to map 
the optical model that we do, even if it's refined, it's a model, how to map it so that it fits on a computer, and then basically on the computer, how, how to deal with it. Right? And this, we are now in the phase where we conclude that thing. That means this toolbox will be uh, actually uh, becoming a public domain uh, software. So we are about to, to, to make that run in open source. And uh, hoping as well that more people will use it, more people will actually help us to work on that one. And we have already a successful collaboration, for example, with a group in mathematics in Waterloo. And uh, Henry Wodrich's group, they have been working on that just really to get now the numerical thing. Now this is formulated as a problem. And now the question, how well does a computer do it, right? We know if we do numerics, right? Precision, whatever thing is an issue. And so they actually were able to find new kind of just mathematics. And so, so that's basically the one thing to do this tool. The next thing is, of course, to use this tool to develop new protocols, to make them more stable, to build. because now we can say whatever idea we have, in a relatively short time, we can mm. figure out what's the performance because we can do the calculation of that one. Right? So, so and that is basically yeah. how they, 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 that we're looking for in, in that domain. Right? And then the other thing that we're working is, of course, quantum repeater. How can I do something simple idea like a quantum repeater, which is, does not need to be perfect, but actually allows me to transmit quantum signals over long distances, at least better than if I had sent it directly over fiber. So that is another area that we're using. And then we use as well, look in general, need new quantum communication protocols right, that actually allow us to use tricks of quantum mechanics to use others, to solve other problems uh, other than QKD. Cool. So, so now maybe now if we move move a bit more onto the uh, onto the outlook of of QKD, um, looking looking more into the commercial side and and the future. Um, so, so I, I suppose we've touched on this quite quite a bit before, but in 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 the most like sort of general sense, how how do you how do you see um, like the quantum the quantum comms technology integrating into what we have now? So you mentioned like CV is very nice because it can be integrated, or there's ways that we can do it with DV. Um, but but just broadly speaking, how how would you see the the integration happening? I, I think basically the technology is really moving on along very nicely. We see, of course, lots of initiatives. Right? I mean, UK has the QPD testbed uh, to to really try to see technology forward and well to work together with industrial partners, which is really important. Right? So this is not no longer just an academic endeavor, but there is really industry coming. And we need. Uh, uh, that's really the thing is QKD for a long time as a stand on alone solution mm. is not very attractive, right? If you have the point to point thing, who needs this one? Uh, all customers will actually need a system which might be based on QKD, but the, the customer doesn't want to see the QKD part. Right? You don't get, you don't get extra brownie points for saying quantum. So I think it in, indeed really counts, uh, what, what comes out of there. And then I see that one, we see for sure really this push over here that, that, that we see uh, network technology companies working together with basically startups or, or uh, research labs in, in the domain of quantum distribution and uh, to, to bring this one forward. That, I think that's very important. The thing, other thing is, of course, we have to be careful. Uh, actually, I worked in the year 2000, mm -hmm. was the first company that works commercially on quantum distribution, that was Magic Technologies, and it was basically leading the first project for commercial QKD. And at that time, Right, uh, I was as well uh, trying to to sell all those things. It means making contact with the customer, right? And that means you work your phone line. And basically, I got laughed out of the room because people thought, you know, they don't have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot sell a solution to someone who believes they don't have right. a problem. 
how time changed since the year 2000, right? I think today you go around and people know that quantum, they need to become quantum safe. I think that is by, by now accepted, but you have to be careful. People don't know yet exactly what to do about it. So they're still at the moment in the phase to explore things. So that means while we are driving the technology forward, right? We still, it's, we are not in the same situations like in other technology. People just pick and take it out of your hands. They are great, brilliant, beautiful, more of those, right? The market is still developing. I mean, which I think is very good is that we see the demonstrators of QPD networks in the UK, but as well in, in China. And we, we see, of course, the big European efforts yeah, as, 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 that these are the UCI. That these are activities actually to show basically we actually show that this works on a big scale and really works basically for customers, for the end users, the integration we push it. Now mm -hmm. we should not mistake that one for full acceptance yet. Right? And and that is not because it's bad, but because things take time. Right? Uh, for people to accept something, it there's some time scale you cannot speed it up, right? You can push to keep the process rolling, but you cannot just say, I put more resources in the, the market, build it up faster. It's not, right? it works on its own time scale. Mm -hmm. right. And so, so I for sure see the technology, there is a support for technology, there's a support for, for miniaturizing uh, uh, QPD devices to really make them cheaper, that we can easier fit in there, and that will all help. But we still have to, to develop it's a better overall vision how QKD together with post-quantum will be actually form the infrastructure of the future. And so that is still something which is basically uh, in the making. Yeah, I think that leads kind of nicely into the next question because we wanted to talk about, you know, I guess it's hard to predict. We don't know how QKD is going to be taken on by the market um, and as it develops, but just about the coexistence of modern cryptography and quantum cryptography because obviously once... QKD is fully developed, ready to go, then you can't just put that on the market and take away all of the classical stuff. So how are they going to look like working together? And I think there's also much fewer people who are as knowledgeable about quantum cryptography. So how would that look like integrating with all the people who do classic, classical cryptography? I, I mean, it probably even will be that, that even if we use QKD, if, if we are, for example, talk to the BSI in Germany, so that is uh, uh, the uh, uh, National Security Authority in, in, in Germany. What they are saying as well, and that simply makes sense for post-quantum QPD, they're all new technologies. How sure are we at? Uh, as we discuss sidechain for QPD, as we uh, uh, discuss the uh, validity of post-quantum assumptions, right? Uh, that you actually would put them actually in package. So it means the key, you would not directly use the QKD key directly for, for encryption, but you would probably uh, basically uh, double, it, uh, double it up, hybridize it with a key that is generated by one or even several of the uh, post-quantum algorithms. Right? So in such a way that you need to break all of them in order to come to the secret. Okay. But that means if one of these new technology has something which we, we did not work out as, 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 as advertised, right? You have a fallback position of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So that is for sure like a recommendation that we hear, uh, uh, not only from BSI as well, from other corners, that they give for sure just to hybridize it, right? But the other thing is, again, for sure, 
for the large number of users, basically, if you have QKD, for example, going into a building, but now you have your internet in that building. So how do you secure that one? But if we are not yet at the stage where basically I have my QKD the, uh, card that insert into my, my computer, mm -hmm. right? And now I have my QKD fiber optic ports at my laptop for my QKD operation, right? Uh, then for sure you need to 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 secure this one uh, still with postcard, mm. right? The same as for sensor networks and so on, right? So 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 there's key applications where where you would really not consider QKD to be used, but you really have to figure out how to make the interplay to get, for example, the security benefit of QKD as far down the line as possible, right? And that means you have to solve as well this last mile problem, right? If you have the endpoint of a QKD and the crypto, basically the application is at a different location now. Now there's also the question, what assumption can I make if I'm in a secure building, right? And uh, we need to figure this one out, <laughs> right? We really have to figure out so that it makes sense. Right? So we don't want to have a high secure one part and then everything mm. else is so leaky that you know, you know what does it buy me, right. right? You really need, need, need to be careful. And, uh, the thing is basically for that one, you really need to work with people that work in practical cryptography uh, today, right? And, and the thing is basically you need to find those people that tell you everything that is, they think is bad about QKD. But who has actually spent the time to talk with you about, you know, how could you leverage the advantages QKD has? Mm -hmm. Basically, from the theoretical statement, how to leverage that one? Right. And so, so you really need to work, work on that one. But, but people do this one now increasingly. And I think basically that's as well my hope that the speed at this forefront of, of, of research is very really be taking now. Maybe, maybe you could tell us a bit about, so, so of course it'd be fair to say that, that, that this is quite a powerful new technology if it's, if it's used, used quite widely. So of course, with any new powerful technology, we, we get the certain risks when, when, when we're consumers, you know, if we were handed a black box, that's a quantum box, how do, you know, we got a, there's some trust. We might know nothing about quantum mechanics whatsoever, but there's some trust that we know that the person that gave it to us has, has built it, built it as it, as it should do. So what kind of risks are there that, that come along with this, this sort of technology? Uh, I, I mean, the risk, basically, one risk, I think it would be more basically if you're building QKD devices that are not really QKD, which they don't know what they're doing, but they sell it anyway, because that would for sure bring down the mm. field, right? So, and as I said, basically, because for the implementation, we now think about, do am I at risk if I use the QKD device? Uh, as I said, there would be the idea of to, to hybridize it, right, together with a classical algorithm, right? So that you have basically always basically in a way should never be afraid that you go below the current security level, right? So a QKD can bring it only up. That's basically what you really want to do in a smart design as a transition to to use a, 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 a new system. Always make sure it for sure does not go back, right? Not a QKD device falls off the shelf and spills all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Really need to do actually do a transition to quantum safe is indeed something that that will be will be carefully planned, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and 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 we know that one as well. Basically, uh, if you talk to companies and say they are interested and uh, try to find out how much are they even exposed today to the quantum risk out of quantum computers, 
But this is actually a process where quite often you have to dig very deep uh, as well for them to understand what is that they're using today, right? And and what what is exposure? And as you really need to do this before you actually uh, do a transition to a new cryptographic system, right? You really have to know basically how is it used, uh, used around it and so on, so that it really makes it really make full full use of the potential increased security. Also, we wanted to ask, in your opinion, you personally, what you are most excited for about the future of QKD and quantum comms. I mean, I, I think it's just just uh, just uh, I just to see it's really mm -hmm. used, right? I, I'm I'm that's really something I'm just excited. With. Come on, I I did uh, general relativity for my uh, master thesis, right? Um, and the thing is really to have something which comes from this uh, deep root can be leveraged into something that is of practical use and to see those devices actually being built and being really installed. I think that is just uh, the exciting part just to, 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 to see this development. Right? And I, I think that as we see now the development of larger networks, we, that we see this deeper integration into the optical hardware of networks that we see actually going to satellites, maybe even geostationary satellites, and really see this one really uh, being used in, in, in these cases that we can first at all do it at all, right? I mean, who would have thought that even we can talk about QKD to geostationary satellite, right? Of course, it's still hard work, but anyway, right? So there's the fact that, that this is coming, I think that it's just really, 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 uh, it's extremely excited either. So I, I'm excited to see the technology development of what, what, what we have actually being integrated, going to the network, really going to applications, right? uh, that we have the uh, commercial uh, startup culture around it, that we have uh, many, many companies really going to the field. The fact we, uh, uh, several of my students now actually work for quantum uh, companies, right? Why in the old times, if you do theoretical physics, typically you do go in, into software engineering, work for a bank or whatever thing. And now the yeah. fact that we actually have graduate students employed in the mm -hmm. field for, for what they actually were trained for, <laughs> not only just for the way that we really created critical thinking and analyzing and breaking down mm -hmm. problems, right? I think that's just mm -hmm. exciting. Most definitely, yeah. I mean, it's such a rich field and I think it's developing really quickly. Mm. It's very cool to see where it's headed. Brilliant. Well, I think uh, that's uh, that's all the questions that we have for you. So thank you, thank you very much for, for answering everything. It was really really insightful. Yeah, it was a pleasure for sure talking to you and able to talk about this topic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entangled with Norbert Lutkenhaus. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you again next time. Mm -hmm.